Today on Laura Lynn and Friends. The only reason why police states have you show identity papers is to condition you to understand that they are your master. Welcome to the beginning of the last days. My name is Laurel and Tyler Thompson. Let's start off the show the way I love to start off. Do you like my new glasses? They're big, eh? They almost take up half my face. <laughs> That's how glasses are now. It's like super nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> the more nerdy, the better. Okay. All right. So, you know, I love to open my dad's Bible. I miss him. He's been gone, um, I don't know, two and a half years now and... Um, so I opened it up because we're going to be talking about health and, and what's happened in the last few years and this incredible initiative, the National Citizens Inquiry, which helped Canada to understand uh, what had uh, really taken place, you know, what was real, what wasn't, what the facts were, brought forward personal testimony and, and a lot of people uh, able to speak and share about the mandates, the vaccines, all of that. Okay, so um, so I open up, do you know that... Uh, Luke in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So Luke was a great physician. So since we're talking about medical stuff today, I opened up the book of Luke. And um, my my dad has really uh, underlined this story about this blind man. He was a blind man, man, he was a beggar. And he was crying in the streets as he heard that Jesus was coming. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he kept saying it and he kept saying it. And then all of these people were telling him to be quiet, you know, the people in the street. I mean, what do they care? They're not blind. And, and so this guy, this is his last hope, understand, that if Jesus can't heal him, ain't nobody going to be able to heal him. He's been blind since birth. He is, you know, he's exhausted all his resources. And all of a sudden he hears that this dude that is healing thousands of people is coming through his town on his street. He loses it. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He stops everything. In fact, he drops his, the only thing that was his security blanket, which is this, um, you know, this, this covering that he had. And he just threw it aside, his cloak, threw it aside in order. And people are saying, be quiet. And so Jesus turns around and he stops and he looks at him. And, and this man was brought near because Jesus now noticed him. Okay. And I, I would like to be in the position where God Almighty, Jesus himself, would say this to me. This is what Jesus said to the blind man. He said, what wilt thou have me to do for you? Wouldn't you like Jesus to ask you that? Hey, John, what do you need? Eleanor out there. What do you need? Wouldn't you like it if he was asked that? Okay. So the man says, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. It's that easy, isn't it? Now, I just love this precious old Bible. Uh, it's, it's very wonderful to me. And I want to tell you something. Something's changing in our nation. I flew home from Calgary yesterday, and I was at a conference that was in Red Deer on Saturday. The network of networks, network of networking, a whole bunch of great people. And this was spearheaded by Eric Lowther and Art Hanger, former members of parliament, served our country very well. And, you know, a few years ago, I was very sad because I thought, 
America is very patriotic and Christian. They're very, they, they're not afraid to talk about their beliefs. But I noticed that in Canada, rarely would a politician or any kind of public person mention God. Uh, when Stephen Harper would say, God bless Canada, we'd all go, oh, that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful, he's a Christian, you have to vote for him. I mean, he's pro-life. He says, God bless Canada, and everybody's so excited about that. That's all he had to say, you know. Now, I don't know if, I think Pierre Polyev may, has he said it? Have you heard him say it? I don't know if Pierre has, maybe he has. Um, but here's something that's happening, is that everywhere I go, increasingly, People are saying a prayer to open a meeting. So this is a large gathering of atheists, Christians, uh, you know, all kinds of denominations, churchgoers, non-churchgoers, people who swear a lot, people who don't swear. They're all in the same room on Saturday. But what do they do? They open with a quick prayer. And guest after guest was sharing. We don't know if there's a political solution. We don't know what the solution is now in Canada, but... This crisis is causing us to go, we need God. And then on the way home last night, my plane, I got home basically at 3 a.m. in the morning. So if I look really tired and, and you know, kind of worn out, that might be why. Um, there was a, a pastor's wife who was on the same plane that I was traveling on. And she came over to say hello. And she said that their church is busting at the seams in Langley, British Columbia. They're going to have to go like to a fifth service or something like that. That's just crazy. Is everything okay, JT? You're missing my microphone? Oh, I don't know where it is. Um, where is my... Oh, am I smashing? Oh, here it is. <laughs> okay, he's rolling his eyes now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. Could you hear me though? Do you think... Was everyone complaining? Okay. All right. Sorry, guys. So just, just give me a moment. Um, this is what I'm supposed to do before the show starts, and uh, here we are. All right. Oh, JT's not happy. I'm probably going to hear about this later. Oh, he's, he's the worst boss. I mean, oh, my gosh. Just absolutely terrible, like a tyrant around here. It's terrible. It looks terrible. Oh, it does. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's introduce our guest, and then we'll go on, But um, and then I'll fix it. How about I'll fix it in a moment? All right. So I won't waste any more of your time. Um, I just want to say that I think things are changing, that people are realizing there's not much hope. Um, one of the things that we've had is some initiatives to speak the truth. Some freedom fighters, some, uh, some politicians, some doctors, some teachers, and some lawyers have risen to be some of the most courageous Canadians that we've ever seen. And we may not have known that we needed it, but we needed it. The National Citizens Inquiry is something we needed. They went across Canada to hear from folks like you to say what happened during all of this so that we're smarter and wiser. And so I, I just see something growing and I'm pretty pleased with all of that. So I wanna introduce you to Sean Buckley. Uh, he's been in private practice since 1995. Sean Buckley practices extensively in the areas of criminal and regulatory law. His focus is on protecting charter rights and testing the constitutional validity of legislation. Mr. Buckley has developed expertise in Health Canada litigation and defending regulatory charges under the Food and Drugs Act in the area of natural health products, which we know our country is uh, trying to do a number on us over. 
Um, it is likely that he has defended more charges in this area than any other lawyer in Canada. Most of these cases involved a constitutional challenge. He is also lead counsel for the National Citizens Inquiry. And above all, it is his anniversary today, and he is joining us on this very special day. He's taking time out so that he can give us more information, and we're pleased with what's happening. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us. Oh, Laura Lynn, just a total pressure pleasure. I so appreciate the work that you're doing and uh, that you bring a Christian perspective Thank to what's you. going on in the world. Thank and, you. Uh, you know, I, I'm optimistic because I see God moving everywhere. And, mm. you know, remember a couple of years ago in Canada, you couldn't speak to anyone about God. You'd, you know, right. you'd be <clears throat> like people just would, would shun you or, or shut the conversation down. And I find now you can speak to anyone about God, and you can most of the time have a, a conversation with them. So it, it tells like, me he's moving. He is. And it was like political suicide, actually, for a politician to be too Christian or too religious. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we saw at the latest Tucker event, I'm not sure if you were there, Sean, but it, he was in Calgary and Edmonton, but it was all about God. And Jordan Peterson has changed the conversations as well in our country by you know, exposing uh, the pure evil, like he calls it evil. And we were afraid to use words like evil, but I think that the National Citizens Inquiry, uh, many of the conclusions you can only come to is that some of the things that have happened to our citizens have been pure evil. And you've got some updates for us because a lot of people are wondering, with all that happened, like what's next and, and, and where are we going from here? And so I, I'm really looking forward to hearing, uh, you know, what what you have to say on that. Yeah, so Laura Lynn, can I just kind of fill in, in case there is anyone watching who doesn't know about the National Citizens Inquiry. So please go to our website, nationalcitizensinquiry.ca, which is down at the bottom there. <clears throat> we basically traveled across Canada. We had 24 days of hearings. We called 305 witnesses, all under oath, so all questioned by lawyers and then questioned by the independent commissioners. And if you go and watch the testimony, you'll see how formal it was. And the interesting thing about it is, and, and you know, you don't know till you do something, is this format, um, people that are, you know, on the other side of the COVID conversation, people that are, you could never get to watch, you know, a Dr. McCullough, for example, they'll watch him at the National Citizens Inquiry because it's formal. He's sworn to tell the truth. He's questioned by lawyers. He's questioned by commissioners. <clears throat> and there's just something about the format. I mean, we had uh, somebody quite close to us and important to us that, you know, we downright became alienated from during the COVID experience because we were at a different place in the COVID narrative. And if you recall how divided it was and, you know, really thought that um, we were kooks who watched a large part of the National Citizens Inquiry and now, you know, <clears throat> understands that, you know, there's a different narrative. And so there's just something about it. And But the most spectacular thing was, is how God took control over it. So, you know, I wasn't at the first three days of hearings in Truro, but, you know, the hearings starting in Toronto and thereafter, the following 21 days, I was attending as lead counsel. And Laura Lynn, we had, you know, every day scheduled 15 minutes for an opening. And so flying to Toronto from Edmonton, I 
you know, prepared for the first opening. And if I recall, I was speaking about how um, the vaxxed and the unvaxxed had a very similar experience and we need to be forgiving each other. Um, <clears throat> before I prepared for the second opening, you know, sometimes you're just told something by the Holy Spirit. And I was told, uh, I'll take these. I'll, I'll do the openings. So... Um, a little bit of mischief because he usually wouldn't give me an outline of what I was to speak about till the morning. Like I, I would have slept better if I'd have an outline in the evening. Um, but for whatever reason, I, he only did that one night where I had, so usually I would just have time to write down the outline and then we'd have to get in the car and drive to the hearing. So if you watch the openings, I've never like after the first day of Toronto, I would have never rehearsed one. I would have never gone through one. I would just have literally some point form, of what's supposed to be covered <clears throat> and in fact it's funny like he and he started speaking about forgiveness and the second commandment and us um basically coming together and overcoming our fear and understanding we have to start taking personal responsibility but you know it was really funny he literally got me to speak about judgment in, at the ottawa hearings i forget now if it was day two or day three and i remember being up there and he's speaking and I'm thinking internally, oh, you know, I've never thought of it that way. That's, that's pretty neat. So um, for me, it was a very powerful experience. And some days, like Jesus was just spoken about almost by every witness, like you were expecting the tables and chairs to start shouting his name. Um, and that was totally unexpected. So, so we experienced something quite unusual. And, and I would challenge, like it's, you know, it's interesting. We've gone through all this trouble like if you went to, let's say, Toronto Day 2, for example, you know, we've broken out each witness. You can just pick a witness and watch their testimony, but it's better if you watch the whole day because we have a video of the whole day. And then you catch the openings and you catch the transitions and you cannot watch a couple of days of the National Citizens Inquiry and be the same. And if you think you know what happened, you don't. And listening to each other's stories you know, you're an unvaxxed person and you're angry about, you know, all this pressure that these vaccinated people were putting on the unvaxxed and the like, and you start hearing their stories and you see them weeping on the stand and you're weeping with them, you change your perspective. And so it, it was extremely unifying. Um, it, it was the most profound experience that I've ever had in my life. So <clears throat> you kind of asked us what's next and, um, so we're just actually putting out today a, a press release, and I think we'll also throw it into our email just, chain. Just before you, you go on, I, I just want to thank you so much for explaining all of that, because I don't know, like, you know, th this has been a very sort of, um, you know, covered by lawyers and, and making sure that things were done just, just so. But to hear you say that literally uh, God was involved in this process and that this was helping Canada in a way to get knowledge because without knowledge, the people perish and we've been perishing because we didn't have knowledge. And what this brought was knowledge and that, you know, you in your format and with your relationship and, uh, you know, how you have been open about your relationship with God, that he used you in your capacity as a lawyer to actually guide that. I just want to say thank you. And more and more people are coming out with the truth on all of that. Some, you know, all of these lawyers and doctors and heroes that we have interviewed over the last three years, I'm going to say 90% of them are solid 
Christian, God-fearing people who knew something was very wrong. And those have been the people that have helped to guide this nation. And so I just want to thank you for that before we get into going into your press release and, and where we're going from here. But, you know, you raise an interesting point because <clears throat> I don't know about you, and I, I'm just still so thankful for those truckers because, you know, until that convoy, I was, you know, cowering in fear in my home. And then, you know, we see all of these I'm sorry, I'm choking up just thinking about them. I'm so grateful. We see them, you know, driving across the land and and they just gave us strength because finally someone was standing up. And, um, and, you know, that was God moving also. Like, you know, but I, you know, once I got involved, I was really, I found it interesting how, what percentage of leaders in the, the freedom movement were Christian. I mean, it, and that's what you're talking about. And I, I found it completely surprising. Um, but I guess I shouldn't have because COVID kind of drove me to take God seriously. I, I don't know what your story is, but, you know, I had basically drifted away from him. I was going to church maybe a couple of times a month, but, you know, really not taking him seriously. And then COVID hits and, you know, I was just seeing the evil. And it's kind of like, okay, Satan is so crazy real. It means Jesus is real. And, you know, then you can't, you got to do something about it. So you just have to. Um, and so it's really actually been incredibly positive for me, the COVID experience, as odd as that is, um, because he's allowed me to participate in his moving through the NCI and other wow. things that I wouldn't have experienced otherwise. Yes, so, I mean, and- it's been... I think it's a similar, I think it's a similar uh, story that I'm hearing that all of this exposure of evil has made people become far more serious about then, then maybe we better figure out how we get on the right side because the evil is coming and it's coming in spades. And so that, that's fantastic that this was an awakening. And I do believe that in the next few years, um, as bad as it's going to get, and it, it kind of looks like things, you know, they keep threatening more diseases, more pandemics. I just heard the WHO guy, uh, Tedros, talking about, you know, there'll likely be another pandemic. And um, and so they're scaring us that, you know, they want us to be afraid. But all of this is pointing us to to find out what is light and what is good. And so this is powerful. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate your honesty about it. So, you know, I, I think I think you're raising a really important point. And I think people need to understand that, you know, once they pulled that COVID trigger, I mean, you can't, you can't start such a large campaign and not go for broke. I mean, so the go for broke is, 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 you know, world control and domination in, in a way that we've never seen before. So they're going to throw other things at us because they have to distract us. I mean, I think just because of, like you already mentioned Ed Dowd earlier, um, and, you know, the 1 to 14-year-olds in the UK, the statistics Sure, we should there. show that. Yes, yeah, so let, let me show that so that, you can, sure. yeah, so that you can refer and, and uh, comment on it. Take it away. This is ages 1 through 14. Uh, in 2020, their excess death was minus 9%. In 2021, it was minus 7%. In 22, it went up to 16%. And in 2023, it's 22%. So, so it's 22, excess, 22% above baseline. 
above baseline. And what's interesting about this is the excess deaths of the UK children actually went down during 2020 and, and started to rise again in 2021. It's in my book. We, we, we show the rise started when the uh, magic juice started to be issued to children later in 21. What's interesting is yeah, yeah, you have to ask yourself, well, why did it go down in 2020? What's the, what's the, the biggest cause of accidental death for children? Uh, it's accidental. It's accidental. It's, it's, it's usually movement activities, you know, falling into a pool, drowning. Well, there were lockdowns. So excess deaths went down during lockdown for children because of less activity. But sure enough, we've reopened. There's no pandemic. But now in 2023, UK children 1 through 14 appear to be mysteriously dying at an excess death rate of 22%. That's that's even higher than I thought. I don't know where I... I, I... That's, the, that's the UK. It's, it's different in different countries. But okay. The UK has a problem. Mm, isn't that interesting? Yeah, and it, and not it's not interesting in in a positive way. In a good way. But I but I think you know it's it's funny. Like I kind of go in in waves. Like so, I'll have like a two or three week period where people in my circle aren't getting sick, and you know I'll be thinking, oh well, you know maybe it's not going to be so bad. And then all of a sudden, I keep hearing about you know people having turbo cancers or you know, brain tumors that are non-cancerous and, and things that I just hadn't seen before. And I think that one of the difficulties that, you know, our rulers are going to have, and but they've already anticipated it is at some point, it's going to be so obvious that we've been hurt by the vaccine that we're going to get mad about it. And so I think, you know, when you're saying things are going to get worse, I think that they've pre-gamed other things to distract us and put us in a state of fear so that we actually are, we can't react or so they think. So, you know, why are we getting, <clears throat> it's not just the United States. I mean, so there, their bar borders wide open, but I mean, we have taken refugees in numbers that are just astronomical. And, and I doubt that we have the resources to be vetting them. And, and these are deliberate policy decisions. I mean, are we going to see, terrorist attacks within Canada and the United States, perhaps on our vital infrastructure in the middle of winter? I mean, are, are we going to be deliberately allowed to be in a state of terror where they'll put us in martial law? Are they going to crash the economy? Or are they going to give us another virus? Like, I think other things are coming, but I also think we're going to react differently because we were surprised the first time. I mean, who, who expected us to be gamed with a global pandemic and, you know, all of this pressure where it didn't matter what side you were on, you were terrified. You either believed that there was some virus that was going to kill you or your kids, or you believed that the government was going to force you to take a vaccine that was going to kill you or your kids. And we're all experiencing a police state. Like it doesn't matter where you were on that spectrum. I mean, a lot of people understood that identity papers are a police state ritual. And maybe I'll go into that in a little minute. But um, so... We were afraid. I was afraid. I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed to say I was afraid. I was genuinely afraid. You yes. know, Laura Lynn, at the last two lectures I gave in Alberta, and combined, you know, we're probably eight, 900 people. I asked the question. I said, in the middle of, you know, COVID, like in the dark days, put up your hand if you honestly believed that the army was going to be going door to door, dragging unvaccinated people out of their homes and forcibly jabbing them. And almost every hand went up. Now, how does a population get over that? Well, it's quite simple, as you just 
understand that it happened and you were gamed and, and understand that you went through such a high level of fear and you're still here. Like I like to say, been there, done that, got the tick, the t-shirt. So next time you're in this state of fear that they're putting you in, which they, they do so that you're not thinking you we're all going to understand we've been there before and we're all going to understand that there's something crazy up. And I, I think we're going to react differently, even with, you know, communications being down for a while. So, you know, I'm, I'm really optimistic because it's just a race. Will enough of us wake up and stop this before they can close the cage door? That's, that's the race. And I absolutely <clears throat> think we're going to win this because God's bringing about this great revealing. Mm. Wow. I, I, I love that. And, and um, I think that I was with a whole bunch of people this weekend that the, the increase in optimism about how we can win, even if it gets worse, like even if they bring on disease X, even if they get another virus that they, you know, having a little Petri dish and, and uh, you know, Fauci pretends he has nothing to do with it, but he has everything to do with it. And the government's behind it, the globalists, the depopulators, whatever people think might be behind something as evil as we faced, even if it gets worse, we have a sense that because of the National Citizens Inquiry, because we have um, independent media reporting the truth that has now saved thousands and thousands of lives, I, I was overwhelmed this weekend with the people thanking me, literally in tears. They, they, this one lady, she just says, I just don't have the words. She's in tears because the information that she got from this program and from sources like what you have done with this epic National Citizens Inquiry, um, people's lives have been shifted and changed and now they know we're not alone. We're not the fringe minority. The fringe minority is those people that sit in the seats of power that seem to be gaining something from lying to the population. And because of what you're doing, Sean, do never underestimate the power and the heroic work, the courage uh, that you're showing in order to, to come forward and be a part of this, that this is changing lives. And right now, I mean, you were just talking to 900 people. You have well over that watching right now live, and they're going to be share, share, sharing, because some of the information you have to share today is pretty incredible. And we want everybody to get this information. So share this broadcast, everyone. And um, uh, Sean, thank you for keeping on going, no matter what they do. Like, I have a feeling that the the economy is going to be take a bit of a a downfall like we don't know how we're going to be able to get through all of this because they they've been spending on our children's you know futures uh money that we don't have and so there's a lot of issues but no matter what whether whether it's good or bad we're going to be successful in the end we believe that and i'm hearing that and i hear that from you yeah, so, you know, and I want to get to this police state ritual because it just yes. occurred to me for whatever reason that's important for your audience. But, um, I mean, I think people need to be preparing. So, you know, I think you need that vitamin C, you need that vitamin D, you need that quercetin, and you need that zinc. And, you know, if you can get um, ivermectin, which in Canada you can still get quite easily um, veterinarian, and, you know, the oral liquid's probably your best bet bang for your buck there so um although it tastes awful even with juice but right, there you okay. go but i'm just saying and, and you know store some extra food and have some extra water and have some cash on hand not all in the bank and 
And Lord, you know, it's not expensive to get some silver coins, silver maple leaves. Yep. So, um, <clears throat> like, just be a little bit defensive. But let me, for whatever reason, it just came to mind that this, you know, the I need, we need to talk about the police state ritual because there's talk about digital currencies and there's talk about banking ending in Canada and all of this. And it, it's not going to work. But I people need to understand the problem with identity papers. So, you know, I'll use the province of Alberta that, that I live in as an example. But during the dark days, um, you had to have identity papers. They called them a, a vaccine passport to access anything but essential services or you know you you could access essential services without one but otherwise you know if you wanted to go to your kids hockey game or you wanted to go to a restaurant you had to show your identity papers and it it was quite curious laura lynn because at that time you know we would see on social media um, people that were vaccinated and had their identity papers, you know, gloating that they get to go to the restaurants and they get to go to the hockey games and that, and the rest of us couldn't. And I remember thinking, you know, you don't understand um, that the joke's on you. And I sure hope that, you know, you're not showing identity papers in, in front of your children. And let me explain why, because people need to understand that the only reason, the did I say it was the only reason? Oh, yeah, the only reason why police states have you show identity papers is to condition you to understand that they are your master. So when, when we didn't have identity papers, let's say you wanted to go to a restaurant in Alberta. Well, the only question in your mind was, is did you want to do it? You know, oh, hey, I'm craving Mexican food today. I'm going to go to the Mexican restaurant or I'm going to meet a friend down there or, you know, I forgot to take anything out of the freezer. I'm going to a restaurant tonight. I've got nothing to cook. But it all had, just had to do with what you wanted. And that's when you're free to do something, when the only consideration really is, do I want to choose to do this? But when you have to show identity papers, you now have to go through a police state ritual to get the state to grant you permission to do that activity. So you have to show them your identity papers. And if you go through the ritual correctly and everything is fine, then the state grants you the privilege, not the right, because you're not free. You're granted privileges from the state to now enter that restaurant. And every time you do that, it reinforces subconsciously that you are the servant and are, are not free and that the state is your master. So, you know, take Alberta, like what? We're having to do this for contract tracing? Like, help me out. That's like anyone who believed that. So you go to an Oilers game with like 15,000 people in there and they're going to contact trace, you know, and it, it's just, it's so meaningless, it's crazy. And, you know, the hard police states like Nazi Germany or Stalinist Russia, if they, you know, put roadblocks in the middle of the city and in major intersections, you know, do you think for a minute they really cared that you were going from the southern sector of the city to the northern sector? They could care less. They know where you live. If they want you, they're, they're going to show up at night when you're sleeping. It's a ritual to reinforce that you are not free, that you're a servant, and they're the master. And the same thing's going to happen with digital IDs. So we cannot... We cannot allow it. It's police state conditioning. And we have to understand that these rituals actually condition us to be slaves and to accept things. So for whatever reason, I just 
felt that I needed to share that because a lot of people don't understand it's a ritual meant to reinforce that you're a slave. And now that we're used to that, now that that happened one time, there's going to be a, a next time and, and which whatever, and even this climate emergency stuff, I hear that Chattanooga, Tennessee is a 15-minute city uh, and they're, they're now beginning to say, oh, listen, now they've got hundreds of cameras taking pictures of every, um, every license plate to know where you're going, to whom, uh, if, you're, if you're crossing your 15-minute city border, and you get 100 trips outside of your 15-minute city. That's what you get. So they're going to start keeping track of, of everything. And so I think that what you're saying, you're telling us, don't get used to it, don't be a part of it, and raise the alarm about this kind of control. Oh, it's, it, you know, we're, we're fully in 1984. Like, so you mean we need now permission to leave our district? It's like the Hunger Games, isn't it? It's like going back, you know, pre-Bill of Rights when the First Nations needed to get written permission to leave the reserve. Is, is that the type of world we want to go back to? This is, this is absolutely astronomical that we would be considering these things. And <clears throat> that is why God's bringing about a great awakening. And, and he is, and that's why you're doing programs like this. And I mean, I think the, the crazier it gets the more and the more and the more people are going to see it. Because let's say you're like totally asleep and you watch the mainstream media and that's your worldview. You know, are you not going to be scratching your head when you get a letter in the mail saying, you know, you left your district more than a hundred times and here's a fine or, you know, we've suspended your license. You're not able to go. Or all of a sudden you go to fill up and get for gas and your credit card doesn't work or, you know, whatever it is that we use with these digital currencies because, you know, they've decided that you're leaving your district too much. I think people are going to wake up. I think right. they're going to wake up there, really there's quickly. A, there's a fellow commenting about exactly what you're talking about. Um, the Canadian city of Edmonton has laid out its plans to become a 15-minute city. You will not be able to eat, shop, or go wherever you please without paying a toll to pay for the infrastructure of making this Orwellian nightmare even remotely feasible. The only way to implement it is to install even more surveillance, boundaries, restrictions on movement. It means to control how you live your life. Dystopia is coming to a city near you. And uh, basically, these are the 15-minute cities that, um, like, it, it's actually really happening. And I appreciate well, you saying this. Let, let me share with you, like, something really spooky that happened outside of my house. Because I live in St. Albert. And we're a smart city, so we replaced all our street lights with the LED ones that have the camera and have the mic. And I'm outside, you know, basically kind of under one. It's, I'm not right under it, but, you know, I'm pretty close. And, um, and my spouse is out there, and a friend has just popped by. And so the three of us are standing there. It's not dark yet. Like, the lights aren't on. It's starting to get dusk, but no streetlights are going to come on and there was like a strobe flash from this light wow. and all three of all three of us thought oh they they wanted yeah. to do a strobe flash so they could get a good a good photo right because the thing is the thing is wired to the internet like i've seen you know the panel off and the ethernet cable going up which is i think why they were running all these fiber optic cables for internet was so that, you know, these cameras and mics and our streetlights, 
you know, had good bandwidth. And why the heck do we need cameras and mics on our street streetlights? Like it's just, it's insane. It's just, it's craziness. It really is. I, I went to the airport a little while ago and they, um, in the Vancouver airport, um, a couple of different times they had the thing to take your retina shot and I just refused to do it. Um, and I told everyone in the lineup, I said, because people thought that this was a camera. I asked them, I said, what, why are you taking my picture here? Like, what is this about? Oh no, it's just your eye retina. I said, I don't want that. And I'm not participating. Mm -hmm. And I told the people behind me and they all went, what? And all, a whole bunch of people behind me refused to do it too. We just have to be louder because they fool us. They don't even ask our permission for some of this nonsense. No, and, and people don't question. Like, because you know those body scanners, um, I, I refuse to go through them. Like, I, I'm just not going to do that. I mean, A, I, I believe, I don't believe that, that they're healthy. Um, but, you know, B, to me, it's just so totally offensive, which means I have to get frisked every time I'm selected in that line. And, and now I've just taken it a step further. I won't even go through the metal detector. So every time I'm going through, I'm, I'm getting frisked. And I'm, you know, very polite to the, the staff. But, I mean, if all of us would just stop allowing this nonsense to happen, and, you know, we will. We're, but like I say, this is just, we're in the middle of an, an awakening. No, did you, have you heard about Arthur Pulaski's dream? Uh, okay, I was just with Arthur uh, Pavlovsky yesterday. I'm not sure if I heard of his dream. I thought he did say something about a dream. Tell, tell us about it. And let me just say, I'm doing the same thing as you. I refuse to go through uh, those body scanner, the full, the full ones. Mm -hmm. I refuse. I always ask for the pat down. And you know what? I frankly view it as a nice massage uh, as I'm about to sit in a, a plane. I just, you know, they, they pat you all down and I'm, I chit chat with them and make it all pleasant. Like you say, don't well, be rude I'm always, about it. I'm always, I'm always nice too and ask if yeah. they're having a good day. And yeah. like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to be kind to people, but it doesn't mean yeah. you have to willingly comply. No, so it's I funny. I, I get into Arthur's dream, you know, I'd heard a couple of different people mention it, um, you know, on shows. And so I phoned Arthur last week and I said, you got to tell me about, you got to tell me about your dream. And, and he did. And then I said, do, you know, do I have permission to share this? And then he's like, well, obviously I do because dream came from God. And the, so the intention is for it to be shared. And so this is like three years ago. This is before the COVID madness hit. And, um, and he's told this is coming. And what he sees is, is he sees a fence that just goes forever into the horizon and he understands that the fence is the world and on the fence all the people of the world are sitting on the fence and they see the symbolism right because sitting on the fence means you're not taking a side <clears throat> you're not choosing who you are right and then god's hands come down and start shaking the fence and i mean he, he oh. says violently shaking this fence and shaking and shaking and people, the, the, the fence is going all over the place and people are having to decide which side of the fence are they going to fall on. And God doesn't stop until everyone has fallen off of the fence. Wow. And, and, and I see it's that happening. It's communicated that, you know, so you're going to know who's chosen God and who's chosen Satan. But we're going to be forced to take sides. And I think that's what's happening right now is we're having to choose 
which side we're going to take. And so um, it's actually, it's a beautiful time because it means that God's moving and he's revealing things because it's only when he reveals things that you have to choose, okay, I'm going to follow him or I'm not going to follow him. I, I mean, isn't it. it a wonderful time? Like, let's say none of this had happened. Like, we could have all lived our lives and we're just worried, are we going to have a good retirement? Are we going to have the cottage at the lake? Are we going to be snowbirds? You know, but not actually having to decide, just wait a second, do I love God enough to follow him? Or, like, it, it seems to be that we follow God when we need to, when there's an emergency. It's just, it's, it's a trait that we have. So we should be so thankful when, when we're in that situation. But I think in the next year or so, I think we're already there. We're, we're starting to clearly see who's who. And I think that's going to accelerate. And, you know, I think that, that well, this is God's moving. And, you know, once we see who people are, we need to react to that. Um, I th part of our culture has been that, oh, you know, if there's a division or there's, you know, there's a concern with some people in an organization or the like, oh, no, let's all get along, let's hold hands and sing Kumbaya. No, that's how we got into this mess. You know, governments, you name any level of government and every institution, government institution and quasi-government institutions like colleges of physicians and surgeons, you name me one that is actually, actually acting for the people as opposed to against the people. Well, how did we get there? We got there because we don't stand up when people are getting out of line. We accept lies. People can lie and be exposed as lying, and we don't do anything about it. Oh, well, let's all just get along. It's okay. Well, that, that leads to very bad consequences. And that's, that's not what we're supposed to do. So we're supposed to let people that are harming us or don't have our best interests who are being, or are being dishonest with us, we're supposed to give them a pass and allow them to continue on working in authority over us mm. or, you know, working beside us. <clears throat> no. Yes. No. When, what you're saying reminds revealing... me. Well, we, we have a clip of Dr. Scott Atlas discussing the techniques used to drive the pandemic and subsequent vaccine push. And, and, and this is what you're talking about, you know, the different, uh, the different measures that, that were used. Take a look. I think it's very complicated what was done. It wasn't simply a blockage of information. There were several things, and they're right out of the book 1984, frankly, that were both tactical as well as big issue things. For instance, uh, the public was inundated with propaganda. And what do I mean by propaganda? I mean false information over and over again. And it was used effectively because the idea that there was a false consensus by virtue of censorship, for instance, added weight to the information that was being fed the public. And so the opposing views to the so-called narrative uh, were viewed as a threat if they were actually heard. And as we know, censorship is not just blocking the speaker, it's mm. blocking the listener. It's, it's two sides of it. And so uh, this is a very, uh, very effectively used, not just reminiscent, frankly, of uh, 1984, but if you want to really go out on a limb, it was reminiscent of my superficial hmm. knowledge of Nazi Germany. 
uh, where the where a certain group of people were derm were deemed dangerous and the enemy of the state, and they had to be eradicated. And as we saw, you know, uh, I think there was a lot of viciousness and hatred among regular people uh, that stemmed from that effective use of propaganda. Mm. I saw that in everything you were talking about, about who could go to restaurants, who couldn't, and this viciousness. In fact, I just saw this uh, uh, video today of a, a liberal, um, th they work in the liberal cabinet, I think they're in Ottawa, and during Freedom Convoy 2022, they came out of their home in a vile assault uh, with terrible language, the worst, um, oh my goodness, uh, against truckers. I mean, I, I think they should lose their job over it, frankly, but, but this whole... This whole thing, it, it's just been quite a psychological war as well. Well, I think that's been the, the biggest part. It's interesting. One of the witnesses we had at the National Citizens Inquiry was Dr. Malone. And you'd think we'd be calling him about mRNA technology because he was one of the, the main inventors of it. But no, we called him to talk about fifth generation warfare because he's an expert on fifth generation warfare. And that's really psychological warfare by the government on the population. And it was spooky. He actually, you know, during his testimony, provided some mainstream Canadian news articles explaining, and these came out during COVID, explaining that the Canadian military was currently running a military-grade psyops against the Canadian population. And so, what, you know, what do you do with that, Laura Lynn? Like, you're, you're reading your, your Sunday paper, you got the, your coffee on the table, and you're reading about how your military is running a military-grade psyops on you, and then what, like, do you turn the page and read how the Oilers are doing? Like... I know. <laughs> it's it's, it's, it, it, it's like, I don't know you can read a story like that and then and not go well, what the heck's going on and 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 dig deeper. But I think you know I think it's one of the reasons why we have to be so compassionate. Like during the COVID experience, people that were in the unvaccinated camp uh, really really um, came to have hard feelings against the vaccinated camp because of all the social pressure because you know remember like most of the uh, like most of the private employees also were enforcing vaccine mandates and and masking and the like and it was the private businesses that were enforcing these you know identity paper police state rituals we wasn't the police doing it we we don't have that type of manpower in canada so we, we actually amazingly co-opted the citizens to become police state agents against their fellow citizens. So, um, I, I forgot where I was going. Ah, well, it's all good. Just keep talking. <laughs> it's all good. You, you have, you also have like, you did have something that is, uh, oh, you're putting out Malone. a, yeah, so, right. I, where Dr. I was Malone. going is, is, is we have to forgive. We have to understand that the people that bought this, that fell for the narrative, they're the victims. Yeah. Like, they're the victims. So they believed there was this dangerous pathogen that posed a, you know, a mortal threat to both them and their family. They believed it. And they believed the only solution was, you know, this vaccine. Like, it, it was our only solution. It was our only way to get back to normal. It was the only way to protect yourself. It was the only way to protect your kids. And, and they rushed into it. I mean, remember, there was competition 
when you know we didn't have a full supply so different groups got privileged first there was competition to get the jab at first when we didn't have enough so but you have to understand they're the victims and now they're the ones suffering the consequence so instead of being mad we have to under like second commandment has, does not allow us to be mad and if we're mad it tells us we haven't forgiven which means we're not forgiven which means he's not working through us the way that he should so so i know a lot of us out there have anger over what happened and you have to settle it and you have to settle it now um because you're Beautiful. not allowed to be angry and you have to understand that they're the victims and and they're going to need your love in a way that you've never had to love people before because we can't undo what was done. Wow. We can't undo we can't undo the consequences. So, you know, we're going to find out who we are really quickly. So, be, with what happened with the National Citizens Inquiry, it strikes me that if more people know about this, if if more people understand the truth, then we set them free, we set ourselves free, and we move together in unison now for the next assault that they're going to bring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I, I mean, you have to get people watching. So, you know, we've just started, you know, Witness Wednesdays where we're just picking a, a witness and each Wednesday running the video. And, like, we encourage people, like, why don't you make it an event every Wednesday, have people over to your house or just, you know, we've got all the witness testimony up there. Why don't you start having people over to, you know, watch a witness or two and make it an event. And, you know, we had this and we still have it running, you know, this is Canada. So we've got this little, it's a little bigger than a postcard, but, you know, we were encouraging people to print out roughly, you know, a couple hundred of them and deliver them to your neighbors. So, you know, a lot of people just had staples print them off, you know, on cardstock. That is and they fantastic. Really nice. but, but here's the trick. So let's say you dropped off 200 of them to your neighborhood. You know, that's going to actually take you a couple hours. Like, it, it takes you longer than you think think it will. So it's a bit of a commitment. But let's say you got 10, and all this does is introduce people to the National Citizens Inquiry and challenge them to just pick three witnesses and watch three because by then you're hooked and you can't. You can't stop watching. So, you know, whatever you do, if you haven't seen the National Inquiry, don't watch Three Witnesses because it'll ruin your life. You'll be watching forever and you'll be laughing and you'll be crying. There'll be times you'll be crying. This time the whole room was crying and there's nothing you can do about it. But let's say you could get 10 people from dropping off your 200 things watching the National Citizen Inquiry. So you woke 10 people up. Well, then eventually their family's going to wake up. And it's something simple that you did. We're in an information war. I mean, it's, it's a spiritual war, but it's manifesting as an information war. It truly is control of the mind to control behavior. And so you have to figure out, well, how do you participate in this information war? And you don't understand how powerful you are. So, you know, again, I'll use the province of Alberta as an example. So let's say... There was 100 people watching this from the province of Alberta. And I think we have like 86 MLAs. For those out east, you call them MPPs. But, you know, our provincial representatives. Well, let's say those 100 people in Alberta would just commit, you know, two and a half hours a month. You know, so a Saturday afternoon a month, I'm going to be a freedom fighter. I'm going to do something. And what you're going to do is, is you're going to write just a one-page letter to your MLA or MPP if you're in the east. 
saying, I don't want you jabbing kids anymore. And just, you know, whatever reasons come to your mind, like, is it going to take you half an hour to write a one page letter? We'll type it out and put in the address of your legislative assembly. And you've got it addressed to your MP. We'll print that out and sign it. And now put in the name of the next MP. Your provincial legislature is going to list them all. The address is the same. So now you're taking another hour to print out, if you're in Alberta, 85 more. Throw them in the same envelope because it's one address and mail them. If 100 people in Alberta would do take, you know, every month take half, a, half their day, won't even take that long. So for a full year, it would mean that every MLA in Alberta in a one-year period would receive 1,200 letters telling them to stop jabbing kids. Now, I promise you that no MLA in Alberta has received 1,200 letters on any issue because people like you aren't doing this yet. But do you see how powerful that is? And that's hardly spending any time. Like, one of the things that people need to understand, Laura Lynn, is you are so powerful, it's crazy. You just have to start acting. So right. start writing letters. Start making telephone calls to your MPs and MLA's office. Start demanding public meetings. Start going to rallies. Start, you know, dropping off these This Is Canada campaign. Figure, have people over to, to watch things. Like, <clears throat> people are getting hurt because we are sitting still. And, you know, this Arthur Pulaski dream where you have to choose, do you follow God, do you follow Satan? I mean, I've heard person after person after person where the Holy Spirit is speaking through them and saying, gone is the time where you are, are not responsible for what you do because we're in a full-blown spiritual war and God is calling all of us to be active. And that means you're going to be held to account for what you're not doing. I can tell you what Satan wants you to do. Satan wants you to watch freedom podcasts. Satan may even want you to go to the odd freedom rally, but don't you ever pick up the phone and call your MP. Don't you ever write a letter and please don't donate to podcasters like Laura Lee, because you know, if all of them are living like church mice, some of them are going to drop out and it really impacts their ability to push their message and push their story. Like, I, I'm shocked sometimes that, you know, people watching the show don't know. Well, you know, we log in before and we deep, we, oh, what are we talking about? Where are we going? And we debrief after. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I am, I often ask like, well, how are you doing financially? And I, I'm shocked at how many of them are just totally, totally living like church mice because they're not being supported. Well, none of us would know what's going on without people like you. Like, where else are we going to get that information? So you start supporting your freedom groups financially, and you be plugging into several freedom groups and be participating in their things. I mean, there's petition after petition. There's letter-writing campaigns. People are trying to equip you to take action, but they need you to take action, and you need to understand you have to take personal responsibility for this. So many people have uh, dropped out of being able to, you know, keep doing uh, because, you know, you have to you have to live and, and it's a it's a very tough thing. But um, it, it is hard to get support in this. And yet I do appreciate uh, so very, very much that people have been supportive of us. And I know the National Citizens Inquiry, you guys literally moved on faith from what I understand. Like sometimes it costs thousands and thousands of dollars to do every single inquiry in a different city. And you did well, it on it, faith sometimes. Um, 
Yeah, it, especially at the beginning, it was it was really trying. So every set of hearings, my understanding, cost us roughly about thirty thousand dollars. So you had to rent the venue, you had to put up the commissioners, you had to put up the AV team, you had to put up you know myself and Michelle and and you had to pay the AV team and all of this. Like by the time you added it all together, and so especially at the beginning, you know, when I would be doing an opening and saying, please donate so that we can do the next city. I literally meant, please donate so we could do the next city. But that was another example of God moving because he would give us just enough so that we could carry on. And it would be just hundreds and hundreds of small donations. Like it was, it was truly um, touching that, you know, it was people that didn't have, you know, much for means contributing small amounts, but large enough numbers that we were able to keep going. So, um, yeah, it was pretty cool. So I, I see your web guys on the, the website. I, you know, yeah, these are all, these are all like, uh, these are all the testimonies, right? And anyone can see them at any time. Yeah. So every witness has their own page. So you've got, you know, the high def of their, of their um, testimony. You also have transcripts all prepared by volunteers. And if they had any exhibits, there you know links to their exhibits on the site. Um, I should tell your viewers uh, we've lost we had lost control of our social media accounts. So you know when freedom group after freedom group and person after person runs into that now and again. So we've lost control of our original social media accounts. And so the posting on them are, you know, has nothing to do with us. And, and some of the posting we found quite alarming because the National Citizens Inquiry is not a freedom group. And it's an inquiry and it has commissioners. And so people posting, you know, linking to Alex Jones or, or saying there's going to be hell to pay or, you know, saying that we support freedom groups. I mean, I don't care if they're the best groups in the world. That's not what the NCI does. So we're inviting everyone to go to the website and subscribe to our new social media channels so that, you know, you're plugging into to us. But um, yeah, it's a glitch we ran into. And Right. Did something, something happened, a, a glitch. Okay. Yeah. So because well, you that's, have a, that's not really an accurate way of describing it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what can you say? I'm, I'm sure you want to be delicate. Uh, what can you tell us about sort of uh, what you've gone through here? Well, um, we, you know, we were having internal problems. Um, so after the hearings ended, we actually, you know, struck a committee. Should we, carry on and do more hearings because actually um, we were surprised at how impactful the hearings were. We were surprised at how meaningful they were. And, you know, so the vast majority of us felt, no, actually we are supposed to carry on holding hearings and, and the support group, which I'm a member of and which, you know, set up and runs the NCI, we decided to hold more hearings, but, we weren't allowed to press ahead with that because there was a, a small faction within the NCI that does not want us to hold further hearings. Now, you know, we, December, it came to a head and, and we had to vote uh, Mr. David Ross off of the support group. He was one of the ones that, in my opinion, was really holding us back. Um, and then, you know, it just, it just 
became really, really ugly. And, you know, I don't know if you want me to go into the, the details no, on your show, but, but I, maybe. Yes, I do. Maybe, I, I want you to tell the is, truth is, because okay, so we understand. So, yeah. Well, and also I think there's another thing that, that, you know, we should preface this with is so. Okay. Because, you know, so this, so we had a split and they actually got control of our social media. And I'll tell you how that just shouldn't have happened. And, and, you know, what they're saying is, is really not, in my opinion, truthful. And I'll tell you how you can verify that. So, um, but even after they stole our social media accounts, you know, we didn't want to go public because, you know, well then, you know, it's another, it's another, well, yeah. And it's another freedom group that's got division and stuff like this. And I have to, I have to say, I didn't understand how wrong that thinking is. And it's funny, is you know, since we've come public with this, um, you know, I've had a lot of people say, oh, you know, I'm really unhappy that you guys are pulling negative, and basically, you know, can you guys all hold hands and sing kumbaya and get along? And that's part of the problem. I mean, I was praying because we were being sabotaged that God would bring about a revealing. And when God brings about a revealing, you're not supposed to hold hands and sing kumbaya. You're supposed to have a hard look for yourself and decide what's going on. And then once, you know, you understand what the truth is, you act appropriately. But, you know, our world is falling apart. We're jabbing kids in Canada today. People around us are getting sick and dying because they're still deceived and aren't taking, you know, measures that they can take to try and protect themselves because we all need to hold hands and get along and maybe get participation ribbons. We're all going to be dead if we keep doing that. So, I mean, so that's not appropriate. So I'll, I'll tell you about the structure of the NCI, and, and I'm going to read to you some of the documents. Now, Laura Lynn, we sent you a link to a memorandum that I wrote for the support group. And, you know, if, if somebody downloads the PDF, they're going to go, oh, no, this is like 70 or 80 pages long. No, no, the memo is probably like seven pages long, and it's an easy read. But if, the, if there's documents that aren't easily publicly available, like the bylaws that you can just get from the government site or the rules which are on the NCI site, we've attached the documents. So if you're reading the memo and says, oh, well, this document says this, you can go to the original or the attachment where we've got a copy of it and just verify Five for yourself and see the context from which we pulled maybe a, a piece of information from because context is important and actually reading documents is important. So back in July of 2022, 11 of us got together and decided we we're going to put on the National Citizens Inquiry and we called ourselves the support group. So we started planning, you know, okay, we're the members, what's quorum, how do we manage ourselves you know do we let how do we let other people on so like so you read our minutes and it's kind of like okay we're just we're plowing along and we're formally organized and you could probably describe us back then and still now as an unincorporated association and they happen all the time and in fact most things done by average citizens are just you could be called an unincorporated association it's just people getting together and doing things and we're still allowed to do that in Canada, is get together and do things. Well, we got to the point where we needed to start collecting funds because we're going to hold 24 days of hearings in eight cities. What's that going to cost? I, I don't even remember what our original estimates was, but it was probably like a million dollars. So, you know, what do we do? Do we have Sally Smith on our 
support group collect funds in her name so people are writing checks to Sally Smith like that, that's just not going to fly. So you know you're going to be setting up a nonprofit to collect and disperse funds. Well, then now, <clears throat> do we move our governance into a board model where we all become board members and manage the NCI that way? Or do we just say, no, no, we're, just give, we're, we're setting up a nonprofit for the sole purpose of collecting and dispersing funds, but otherwise we're doing everything. So we'll have you collect and disperse funds. Well, that's the decision we made. Now, three of their... <clears throat> there's... I'll, I'll say three directors, but it's so confusing. They, they've kind of done things in a funny way. There's two listed public directors, David Ross and Chess Crosby. And there's another director that... Um, is involved in this, who's apparently a director emeritus, whatever that means, Andrei Lit Lit Litvinchenko. Um, <clears throat> so Andre and, and Dave, David Ross, they were tasked, and we attached the support group minutes to this memorandum. So we've decided, yeah, we should set up a nonprofit organization. Will you guys get back and give us a proposal on how we should set this up? And I'm just going to read to you, and this, this proposal is attached to the memorandum, but I'm just going to read to you a bit of this, because, you know, hearing the words, and this is going to be verbatim, except where the letters NFP appear, I'm going to say not-for-profit, because that's what NFP stands for, is not-for-profit. So, you know, David Ross and Andre prepare this proposal for the support group to either accept in its entirety or to amend and, and off we go. But we're trying to figure out <clears throat> how is this nonprofit going to function? So quoting straight from the document they prepared that we accepted unanimously, the not-for-profit would strictly act as a legal organ for the inquiry and shall not be used as a decision-making mechanism. The support group shall retain authority over all administrative, logistical, and financial matters, instructing the not-for-profits board to action as needed, example, release funds. Further on in that document, under the heading Directors and Formal Rules, this document prepared by David Ross and Andre reads, per Section A above, that's the section I just read, the not-for-profit merely acts as a necessary legal organ and has no formal authority to make administrative, logistical, <clears throat> or financial decisions on the inquiry's behalf. Now, there's a whole bunch of other <clears throat> documents. In fact, you can download, although they're included as an attachment on the memo, but you can go to the government website and download the bylaws for the not-for-profit actually have a background section which basically sets what we just I just read to you, that they're set up to collect and receive funds. Now, if you go to our website, we have the inquiry rules on our website, and the inquiry rules dictate you know, the, how the commissioners act, how the administration acts. They are what guides the, the National Citizens Inquiry. There are operating rules. All the regional subcommittees, everyone is bound by these rules. And the entire support group read these rules before we adopted them. 
And in fact, you know, David Ross, in my understanding, is would have sent them to the regional subcommittees, making it clear these are binding and authoritative on you. Now, <clears throat> you can go to the rules on our website, and I'm going to skip the introduction section, which makes it really clear, but it's in the memo that the support group runs the show. But I did want to section eight of the rules. Section eight is a definition section. And the support group is defined, and I want to read that for your viewers. Sure. Do you so think we can pull it up, or is it necessary, or should we just listen? Well, you actually can pull it up. So, yeah. So back up. So um, back up. I actually have. I have to move a picture. Okay. So because I'm, it's blocking the screen here. So all right. Go to um, pull in. Pull down the. The about. I wanted to see what that drop-down menu is. Does it say commission rules? Yeah. So, pull up the commission rules, and you should pull so up. So small. Scroll down. Scroll. Scroll down to clause eight. You. So we'll be passing the. We'll be passing the admin, or the introduction, which makes mm -hmm. this clear. But if you scroll down to. Clause eight. The rules are quite long, but we needed them because they. They govern entirely how we manage ourselves. So Clause 8, definition of support group. Support group means the collection of individuals forming the support group, which started and manages both the National Citizens Inquiry and the nonprofit corporation started for the management of National Citizen Inquiry funds. So in our rules, it's there. In our in the the setup, it's there. In the bylaws, it's there. You know, if you read the memo, I, I point out in you know the operational history. I mean, I'm a founding member of the support group, and I've been on there the entire time. Um, and I've done more than any other person in the setting up and running of the National Citizens Inquiry. So. You know, until the end of the hearings, I was chair of the administration committee, which was tasked with watching everything that was going on. And I, you know, I set up and managed the majority of the structures that were necessary to, to prepare for and put on the hearings. And I can tell you, I never was ever received a direction from the nonprofit, which is, you know, we just call the CIC at Citizens Inquiry Canada, or a director from the nonprofit. And if anyone had tried to give me direction from there, I would have laughed because they're only there to collect and disperse funds. We haven't given them any authority to do anything else. And all of our minutes, everything shows that. So it's interesting. So on December 3rd, the support group votes David Ross off of the support group. I mean, they, they clearly made a decision that him remaining with the NCI was not conducive to the, the NCI. And in the memo, I attach two emails from David Ross. So one is two days after. And remember, David Ross was the chair of our support group since I think it was April. So, I mean, he's chair of the support group for a long time. He understands who has authority here. He writes an email two, two days after he's, he's voted off of the support group. And he's sending this email to Ted Kuntz, his, who is the new chair of the support group. And he's talking about the nonprofit, like, you know, we've got the annual general meeting coming up, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, and, and like I say, the email is in the memo. He says to Ted Kuntz, 
would you please make it an urgent priority for the support group to confirm the appointment of Andre Letvinjenko and Tag Law as NCI's corporate lawyers to guide the restructuring. So he's telling us the corporate structure of the nonprofits is a mess. Support group, will you please appoint a lawyer for the nonprofit? Well, he's the chair of the nonprofit. If the nonprofit has all the authority, why is he asking the support group? to appoint their lawyer. Do, like, do you see, it's kind of like Sesame Street, one of these things yeah. is not like the other, one of these things does not belong. And the other email I have in there is just, you know, two days later, he's basically saying, I don't have any more managerial authority. So all of our setup documents, all of our operational history, and, you know, even, you know, these two emails, are re- it's, it's so clear the support group runs the show and we just set up a nonprofit for the sole purpose of collecting and dispersing funds. And so I invite everyone to read that memo. Don't take my word for it. It's a non-emotional memo. It just says, here's what happened. Here's the documents. Like I quote from the documents, but they're attached so that you can look at them in context. And it, like it's black and white. Like there's, there's really no argument about it. So, but then about, you know, let's say 10 to 12 days after David Roth, Ross has voted off the support group, all of a sudden he and Chess Crosby, who are the two official directors, take a new position and for the first time ever are saying, no, the support group doesn't run the NCI. The nonprofit does, the CIC. Well, that that's kind of interesting. <clears throat> so you guys helped, I mean, and Chess Crosby helped draft the rules that say the opposite. And and David Ross helped draft that one proposal document that I read that says the opposite, and they've always acted the opposite. So, you know, in my opinion, it, it, it's clear that they're just, they've come up with some fabrication to try and take us over. Now, they can't take us over. We end up voting Chess Crosby off because he's attending at meetings basically saying you have no authority, and, and the rest of us, uh, most of us who are original members, it's kind of like... Well, you can't you can't work with a guy any lawyer longer. So they're they're no longer with the NCI. Well, that's fine, and and we weren't going public about that. Who cared? Well, then they convinced our social media contractor, Garrett Millie, that they have all the authority, and he's gone over to them. So we lost control over our social media accounts. Which you know the sad part about that was is, you know, aside from the fact that we are citizen funded, so people donated to pay for his salary. He wasn't a volunteer. He was a paid contractor. And, you know, and we also always provided him funds to be boosting posts. But, you know, when we were holding hearings, like whole teams of volunteers organized to do do video clipping and create content, like it truly was a citizen initiative building these social media channels and, you know, building us up. So, you know, in my opinion, like Garrett basically going over to this false narrative and Garrett, please read the memo, like help me out here, you know, is a, is a real betrayal of, of all the people that got behind us and the volunteers that helped make those channels Mm. meaningful. But, you know, even then, like we, we didn't go public. So they, you know, we'd lost control of our channels. Well, again, it's, it was this false fear of people are going to say we're negative. People are going to say we're negative, but then, you know, when they started posting, you know, linking to Alex Jones, and, and I, I'm not meaning to run down Alex Jones, but that's not 
we're an independent inquiry. Not what you do. And we focus on our witnesses and we try to stay away from controversial figures. And, you know, it does a video of chess after this Emergency Act decision. You know, there's going to be hell to pay in a big headline post. There's going to be, that's not what the National Citizens Inquiry says. You, you can't tie that to our commissioners. And then you start tying to freedom groups. You, you don't tie our commissioners to freedom groups, and you don't tie the, administ- the administration. So we've, we actually felt, um, you know, something I'm not saying that could really have harmed the NCI's reputation and the commissioner's reputation, that we had no choice to at least tell people, well, here's what happened. That's not us. These people are pretending to be us. And it kind of begs the question, Laura Lynn, who are you to pretend you're the NCI? Like, these are two former board members that that we kicked off you know so they're a small number we're talking about two and you're going to pretend you're the nci after we've dismissed you from the nci according to the you know the rules that you agreed to governing the support committee so and you know and then all of a sudden turn around and say no no the corporation has all the authority when all the documentation shows otherwise and you know how dare you take our social media channels? And, and, you know, the irony is, is they're publicly stained now. Well, the disagreement is, is these people want to continue to hold hearings, and we don't, but we want to push the commissioner's report, and they don't. And, and that's so dishonest that it hurts, because we were pushing the commissioner's report. We had hold, we're the administration. David Ross and Chess Crosby were not involved in the day-to-day running. But we are, and we have whole teams. So, you know, we've got municipal teams. We've got other teams set up to be pushing the commissioner's report. And you take our social media channels, which hinders our ability to push the commissioner's report. And then you go, you publicly say, well, we want to push the commissioner's report. Well, I'm sorry. You have no experience in that administration. And you're actually torpedoing that. And I don't care if they want to go and push the commissioner's report, but you don't steal national citizens inquiry media assets and you don't claim to be the national citizens inquiry and you know now some people are saying oh you know mr buckley and ted Koontz and other support group members you know we're really disappointed that you know you went public because now you're just another group that you know is divided well i'm sorry but when people are revealed for who they are we draw attention to it now because we're mm-hmm. tired of people sabotaging and we're tired of people being dishonest. And if we don't call them out on it, then it continues and we continue to go into a bad place. So I, I actually think, and I, I know I'm getting a little excited here, but mm-hmm. I think this is the greatest thing that could have happened. Because Laura Lynn, before we were house divided, where there was a group of us that did not want us to hold hearings and we're preventing us from organizing to hold hearings. And, and we didn't know, actually, you know, wanted to actually control what has become a citizen, a citizen-run organization. And so <clears throat> now we know, and now we're seeing where everyone falls, whose side people are on. And so now we've, you know, we've incorporated a new not-for-profit and we've moved to the board model. So we're now, we're now in a full-blown board model. And this not-for-profit is, you know, they set up, like Andrew and David set up the first one, and the members were just the support group members. This other one, that, which is called the National Citizens Inquiry, well, we've designed it to admit a whole bunch of volunteers as members. 
Like we want it, we want to get a whole bunch of people in there as members to participate and to vote on the leadership and the like, and to basically take ownership of the National Citizens Inquiry. So we're really actually quite excited about that. And the social media thing, even that is a blessing because we had set up in such a hurry. So like our Twitter account, I, I don't even remember what the original one, it might be like inquiry or something like that, you know, NCI inquiry or whatever. And then Facebook has a different name and Instagram has a different name. So we've set up all accounts now, NCI Canada. So we have some synergy, um, you know, for branding. So we have to rebuild all of those, but going forward, it's going to be a good thing. And as people learn that, they're not our voice, that they're actually people pretending to be the NCI, they'll move over. And, and I, we don't care if people keep supporting them. Like, you know, if, if they want to figure out how to push the commissioner's report, great. All the power to you, but don't you dare pretend to be the NCI. And don't you start, you know, posting things that are going to, you know, be inconsistent with our independent commissioners. So, you know, I'm going to call you out on that. And and if anyone doesn't like me calling out, I I think we need to start reconsidering that we have been trained to, oh, no, we can't have conflict. Oh, no, we can't call people out. Well, we actually have a responsibility to do that. Like, I don't like conflict. I'd love if we could all get along. But our only alternative then was just basically to let the NCI collapse and let them to pretend to be the NCI. And no, I actually think that, that it, I actually think that an independent citizen-led inquiry, free of all politicians, because mm, all mm. of these board members are, were the only ones involved in the NCI administration that were connected to political parties or party. So, so we are now, you know, our actual bylaws, and you can just go to the government site and download the National Citizens Inquiry bylaws. You, you can't be a leader, you can't be a board member if you're connected to political party. I mean, it was, so, it was so tight, actually, we had to give the board some discretion because we don't want anyone tied to government even. Like, what if you're a janitor at, you know, the National Research Council? Does that mean you can't, like, volunteer on a regional council? Well, we actually have to, we have to actually agree that you can because we don't want to be tied to government in any way um, or to any political party in any way. So you know, we've structured in a way more appropriate for an ongoing independent inquiry. Like when we first did this, the plan just was, let's run an inquiry, let's push the report, and then let's fold our tents. We didn't understand actually how powerful of a mechanism it would be and how important it would be to carry it forward. So now that we understand that, we're structuring this so that when we're all gone, there's this independent citizen inquiry that will just carry on and on and on kind of shining light That's onto what doing. yeah i'm actually getting chills talking about it yeah accountability yeah this is this is god showing us the way to bring out the truth um i'm really surprised that this happened uh people in the some of the comments are saying, you know, are they infiltrators? I mean, what what on earth is the reason and, and purpose behind? And maybe but, we can't speculate on that. Like what? I, I don't think we can because yeah. um, I know in the past I've speculated on, on people's motives and that and just been so wrong because it is just pure speculation. Yeah. And the other thing is, is, is you know, these, these people were really helping at, you know, earlier on in the project too. And so, you know, we can all disagree, but 
you know, don't be misleading and say that the CIC has control when it's so clear it doesn't. Like, if you, you know, didn't like getting voted off and, you know, you're not happy about being, ex you know, excluded from the National Citizens Inquiry, okay, I, I can appreciate that. But that doesn't allow you to try and, and do a power play and pretend to be the NCI when you're not. So wow. you, you just you just can't go that far. No. Um, but, no, let's not speculate. Um mm -hmm. And, and let's not, I mean, when you're being dishonest, I, I have trouble believing you have pure motives, but I don't want to dishonor, you know, the fact that, you know, there are people that have come and gone that were essential to put this project on and all contributed. And it, and it was so important that, I mean, I think all of these people should be honored, but, you know, just... Don't don't torpedo what's happened and what is happening. Yes. It, it's you know it, it grieves me. Yes, it, it is it is grievous. Um, so so now having dealt with this and being able to be honest uh, about it, and I thank you for sharing that. I know that uh, people in the in the comments are very grateful, and that it helps them to understand some things that they've seen or you know what's going on. Um, so. Moving forward, then um, the National Citizens Inquiry. I mean, there's there's still a lot of work to be done, I guess, and the the legacy of this is going to continue. Oh, I, I mean, like my feet are hard. I I don't think they touch the ground when I walk now because <laughs> um, I've been wanting to to be structuring to carry on hearings since July when the support group said let's have more hearings but I haven't been allowed to do that but now the support group and we brought in some new members also to replace those that that are no longer with us I mean we're all of one mind that this is so important to have and so you know right down to the structuring where it's totally independent and you know as robust as we can make it we're actually excited about holding hearings so we've released today a, you know, we'll call it a press release, but we also um, will be, if we haven't already, we'll be sending it out on a regular email announcing um, <clears throat> we're going to hold hearings this spring and summer. Now, we likely also will in the fall. Now, and I'll tell you, internally, we're going, oh, my gosh, that does not give us a lot of time to be setting up hearings. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're going to really, really be um, relying on, on some key volunteers and if, if there's anyone out there that's got experience and is solid as a volunteer coordinator, yes. um, you know, we're managing people, then um, please contact us um, on our email on the website, but be okay. persistent. Because um, <clears throat> right now, that's what we really need. So internally, we're kind of like, oh, this is going to be white knuckle time again. Um, but we actually feel it's so important to start letting Canadian voices to be heard again. And, you know, to get back in the saddle, we also announced that, you know, we do have this new nonprofit, the National Citizens Inquiry. We're now able to take donations again, like the big, they were collecting all our, our donations, like up until about a week ago. We didn't, we didn't disable that, but we've lost all our funds. So now we're in a situation where we're going to be putting on hearings in short order um, with no funds. So, you know, we're also calling on people to donate. So go to our website and, and donate. And then we also set up another committee. We'd already had, um, you know, two different municipal groups and um, a, you know, a group setting up a whole bunch of YouTube channels to be pushing the commissioner's report. Um, <clears throat> but we also decided we needed another coordinating committee to do that. So we've announced the formation of that because we've been a little distracted, you know, yes. for 
a couple of months with this, you know, hostile takeover attempt. Right. Um, yeah. And it's now we've just decided, okay, well, we we can't hide it anymore because of the messaging. And so, and now, you know, I'm thinking, well, why should we hide it anyway? Like this has mm-hmm. happened. So we're we supposed to pretend it hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. And, and I really would invite people to read the memo. And like I say, don't, it's only like seven or eight pages, even though the PDF is like 70 or 80, it's mostly attachments. If you, you know, want to read one of the attachments in context or one of the things we refer to in context, but I want people to make up their own minds by just looking at the the documented history of how we set up, you know, right down to our meeting minutes and the like, so that, you know, people understand this, this is just silly. This is just a fabrication. Wow. But, you know, again, I think, you see, revelation is, is a good thing. So, yeah. and it's okay for us to have conflict. And, and now this is a serious one, but, you know, we can disagree and we can even choose to go our different directions. Um, you know, if, if that's better for us, like, it's okay. Like people are people and we do see things differently and we do disagree all the time. Um, like that's okay. So, um, but I think we have to get over this. Oh, well, conflict is necessarily bad. No, actually we're in a war and we're in an information <laughs> war and God's going to be bringing out a bunch of revealing and, and he's going to be expecting us to clean house. Yes. And so, you know, the NCI has done some house cleaning and now we're a house united instead of divided. So I I'm like, I'm, I'm super pumped. Somebody's asking if it's going to be different than the previous, um, uh, you know, gatherings that you had or, or will it have a different focus or is it, is it kind of the same? Okay. So the short answer is, I don't know, but what we're going to do is, is we're going to put out a survey and ask people to say, well, like, what are you interested in? Like, yeah. what do you want us to hear? And basically try and have a dialogue with the public. Now I can tell you that personally, but I'm just one voice. Like I'd like to still focus on COVID and I will tell you why, because I think we're going to be entering a season where a whole bunch of people who don't know what we know need to see it. Like right. we're in an information where our purpose is to, is to show truth and wake up. And it's easier to get people to watch a hearing that's current and live than, you know, the one we had last year even though it's just, like I say, it's life-changing. Like if you haven't watched, I truly challenge you to watch even just one full day and tell me you're not, you're the same because you're not, you're not going to be the same. So, um, and then I, you know, we get so many emails from vaccine injured persons that just want to share their story. Right. Um, There's more and more and more. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there's, um, there's a need when you're hurt and suffering, there's a need to be able to tell your story and there's actually a need for us to listen. I'm, I'm wondering, and I'll, I'll just throw this out there as I let you go, but also an inquiry into what we've done with the trans agenda and some, some of this, because uh, we see Danielle Smith uh, rising out. I watched her entire, um, you, you know, she had to face the, the media. She's doing a good job, but, but she's also, she's going to make it easier to get these... Um, to get these operations, uh, you know, when you're older. And this is a whole field that everyone's kind of like, we're not doctors. We, you know, we don't know, but there is very strong feelings on all of this. And to, to be able to, uh, support people who've gone through the process and now have deep regrets or what Mm -hmm. the outcomes were 
from actually getting full top and bottom surgeries and being on the, you know, cross-sex hormones that, that does indeed change your life forever. Uh, it's another thing, but, you know, maybe yeah. maybe the National Citizens Inquiry is going to be something that is set up that for all time can bring accountability to what is happening in culture. Like, I mean, we're thinking down the road. I mean, once we get more structured, more organized, I mean, why wouldn't we have inquiries going on several topics yes. at the same time? I mean, obviously, stagger like your hearing dates. But, I mean, yep. the idea is is to have a citizen-run organization that holds impartial hearings on topics so that people can at least understand what's going on Yes, and, you know, cast light I think that in itself will influence government because it'll change the culture. Like, 100%. you know, we, an independent inquiry shouldn't be the political arm trying to create change, you know, so we are trying to, you know, get the commissioner's report adopted, but, you know, next time around, we may not take that role because we're thinking again, well, should an independent inquiry be taking any political action? It's a good, mm -hmm. it's a good question. Are we weaker or are we stronger? And these are the types of things that we actually will need your, you know, the, the public's input on, you know, how, how does this best serve Canada? And the curious thing is, is the world's been watching us. They've been watching this model. Like for whatever reason, Canada's the trendsetter here, you know, starting with how bad the we freedom got. Convoy. And, then, yeah. and then the freedom convoy. I mean, yeah. the whole world knows about the freedom this. convoy and they gave strength and courage to the whole world. Like, I don't think the truckers appreciate the difference that they've made. And I think it's just going to carry on and on. It really makes me proud. What you're all doing as, as a Canadian organization, it makes me proud to be Canadian. And I do think it's trendsetting. Thank you so much, uh, Sean Buckley. Um, thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for sharing the truth. You have so much love in the, the field right now. It's, it's, you know, it almost feels like we could just talk all day, but I know it's your anniversary and your yeah, wife's it, probably it is, in the so background. I should be going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to let you go. You've been so yeah, generous you with your time. See her, but my wife's kind of off camera here going. Oh, I bet. <laughs> okay. Tell her I'm on, I'm on her side. Okay. So and, and thank you so much for having me. You're and, welcome. uh, you know, I honor. so appreciate, I so appreciate what you're doing and, um, you. and God bless. God bless. God, God bless. Take care. Thank you. That is awesome. Wasn't that just some truth and, you know, just being able to, you know, put it out there when we have a little bit of conflict going on, because we know that the freedom movement has had this difficulty, uh, you know, where one faction gets fighting against the other. And, uh, you know, I will say, I've just felt such a, a, you know, a pull with regards to Premier Daniel Smith. Um, people are calling her an Esther. People are very supportive of what she's trying to do. And I do appreciate it. Um, I, I'm also a little bit surprised because her actions are also going to make it easier to get operations in Alberta. She wants to bring the doctors and these doctors are the ones who are going to cut the throat of, uh, of Premier Daniel Smith. These doctors wholeheartedly believe in their agenda, their ideology of transitioning male to female, female to male. And it's not a thing. It is, it is not a science. It is harming a lot of people. And those, you know, I do hope there's a, a, an official inquiry one day on all of this. So um, I, I'm a bit surprised at the lengths that the premier is now going to go in order to actually normalize it from the age of 18 and up to get the doctors in there um, to, to make it harder 
or, or easier to have it, you know, where it was harder because they'd have to go to Quebec. I'm never in favor of making something that is not good easier. I'm never in favor of that. It, it's just a principle. So I'm not sure who, you know, who is pressuring her. Uh, she must be under tremendous pressure. And I will say, I love the way she handles herself with the press. She's She's got her talking points down. They're accurate. I'm thinking she could throw in a little bit more um, regarding the harms that are clearly seen. The Tavistock closures, the doctors that have been involved with transitioning minors that now no longer can be a part of that. Um, you know, she can be bringing facts forward to all of these CBC, Global, you know, everyone that's asking her questions. Um, she can be dropping these nuggets of truth about the harm that is here. And she's absolutely right about minors and that, you know, I mean, I've read about it. How are you going to have sex with a fake penis? I'm sorry to be so blunt, but you're, you're cutting pieces of skin off of somebody's leg in order to make them a fake penis that doesn't work. Like, where are you going with all that? It's not real. It's so bizarre. And, and we, we really do need to, you know, have some common sense and protection, protection for people that go through this and then have tremendous regret. And I was just watching a video on that. I was just watching a video on somebody saying that it did not pan out. They were not given informed consent. So what a problem. My, um, my, um, my website is laurelin.tv. Thank you all so much for watching. If you appreciate this kind of honest broadcasting, as Sean was stating, Mr. Buckley let you all know that independent media are the ones that promoted the NCI, are the ones that are promoting all of the stuff that the legacy media is not talking about. If you appreciate that, will you put your money where your mouth is? Would you just take a moment, go to my website, laurelin.tv, click on the donate button, you know, work through the, uh, the couple of questions, you know, you got, you need your name and your credit card and all of that. Some of you might want to be a monthly supporter. That would be amazing. If you want to just make a one-time donation, small or large, larger, the better, but small or large. We love it. We appreciate it because that keeps us going. This is a small family business going on actually right here. Uh, the, the, this came out of COVID. This came out of council culture. And because we've been canceled so many times, this is why we do this every day. We know that there's important stuff that you need to hear about. And also silver and gold was mentioned by Mr. Sean Buckley. And we do um, support uh, Sovereignize at ProtonMail.com, Steve Merrill at Sun City Silver and Gold. These are the people that we trust. They ship you the gold and silver. You can then put it in a safe place, but it literally literally arrives at your door. <laughs> and so uh, and so we just want you to know that um, it's good to have a little cash on hand, prepare for a rainy day. Don't keep tons of cash in the bank. Invest in gold and silver. That is going to be um, of utmost importance, you know, and the Bible even says the silver and gold are the Lord's and that's in Haggai. All right. So thank you very much. My email, did you already put that up, Sweet Pea? Yeah, or have you, uh, not the email yet, Live at protonmail.com. Are, are you over about the whole microphone fiasco? 
No, still shaking his head. Yeah, I'm in big trouble. I'm going to have to go to the boss's office after this. Because if you saw the start of the show, the microphone was all wrong. You got to go back and see. It was a complete disaster. Really humiliating for, my, for myself. And something that JT and I can work on, some marital uh, problem solving and maybe get counseling on that because of your very tyrannical ways that, uh, that you have here. No, my husband is not tyrannical. Probably I am <laughs> more. I don't know. I'm bossy. I like things done a certain way. And uh, JT just makes things happen. And, and we're a team because, you know, we're unhirable anywhere else. So this is what we do every day. And, you know, I just got a, a lovely, uh, you know, somebody texted me during the show and basically said that our, uh, please don't stop doing these long broadcasts because it's like a buffet, like a, um, what did she call it? Uh, a, a buffet every day, you know, so that's so sweet. Thank you. Um, so I, uh, thank you for watching the show. I'm going to leave you with a couple of th things, um, in Romans, um, in Romans ver uh, chapter 14, verse 19, it says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mu mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Well, that means that, you know, if Bill Gates is trying to get me to eat that, um, you know, meat that's created in a uh, Petri dish, that if I don't want to do that, then I don't have to feel bad about that. That's how I view that. In, in Romans 15, it says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults... <coughs> Sorry. Excuse me. Um, but the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything was written in the past, was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So here's what I believe about this. When we go back, this is what this says, is that we are to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves only. You know, each of us should please our neighbors. What that means is let's be very respectful. One of the things that uh, Sean Buckley brought up today was that we're going to have to forgive those. We're going to have to forgive those people that, um, you know, we felt betrayed us or, or went along with things or didn't see the truth fast enough. We're going to be, we're going to have opportunity in this next little bit to be very gracious with one another. Can I encourage you that it matters that we're loving. It matters that we have relationship. Maybe there's a way to restore some things that went wrong during the last three years. Is there a way to reach out to those that you love? And, you know, if there's been a difference of opinion, if they haven't quite gotten it, they're not going to get it if they feel that we hate them. They're not going to get it if we're just pounding on, you know, everything. And certainly not if we, you know, insult them. But... This is what Jesus said. He said he took on the insults of the world to, to be able to stand, to take the full weight of criticism. And I would dare say hatred. 
so that he could stand in that place and be our protector and our shield and be the one who then brings us to freedom completely in our own lives. Because who of us have not fallen short of the glory of God, but that we would stand in his righteousness. And you know, oh my goodness, I had the best time at Southside uh, Church this last Sunday. Southside Church, I urge you to get Pastor Craig Baroker's teaching on the grace of God and the righteousness of God that is ours. You know, it's, it's like this. You're going in life and you're sinning and then you receive Christ and you ask Jesus to forgive you. And then it's like this, done. Price paid. Like this is what the word says, is that he came to pay our debt. So there's no more debt. You don't owe God a debt because you're so evil and sinful. No, 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 no. He paid your debt. How you bless God is that you walk, you walk in purity and righteousness, trying to do what's right, but you walk in the beauty of what he did for you, which is his righteousness becomes yours. It's awesome. Pastor Craig Baroker, Southside Community Church. You've got Victory Church. You've got to get that. Okay, have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless. You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing but for some of us, we feel that we have no choice. Because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked, and we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support. I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.lauralyn.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.